When you think of big tech Silicon Valley CEOs, you might think of a young multi-millionaire in a hoodie, super chilled and a bit nerdy. But when the biggest names in Silicon Valley think Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk sit opposite Kara Swisher for an interview, they're no doubt visually nervous, sweaty and on their toes. That's because Kara's been covering this industry since the early 90s. She's seen it all and knew many of the titans in tech when they were just starting out. Kara is a no-nonsense journalist with a reputation for being both the most feared and well-liked journalist to cover Silicon Valley. And I happen to be a huge fan of one of her podcasts, Pivot, that she hosts with Professor Scott Galloway. So how does Kara prepare for interviewing some of the biggest names in the world? And what's the best piece of advice that she's ever received in her career? And why has Kara never suffered from imposter syndrome? I'm Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist and the founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show that helps you do your best work. So Kara's one of those people with more jobs than seems human. She's an opinion writer for the New York Times and hosts the podcasts Recode, Decode, Sway and Pivot, along with a stack of other things. So I wanted to start by understanding how on earth does she fit it all in? I, I'm very careful with my schedule. I don't over schedule myself. And I like I, I say no to a lot of things. You know, the, the, most people say yes to everything. I don't. I, no is a complete sentence in my life. And I'm OK with that. Like I and I'm very clear about the stuff I want to accomplish. So I set out sort of goals for myself for the week, you know, the day, the week the month, the year kind of thing. And so I'm always planning it in that way. And I move them up and down. I make a lot of lists. I'm a list maker. Um, I don't use anything fancy like Trello or things like that. I just make a list essentially. And so I, I'm very strict about like, here's my priorities. And then I move stack rank them up and down um, and make sure I'm sort of do, doing them. And it's not quite like KPIs or other things that people do, um, but it's super efficient in terms of how I think about it. Now, you mentioned that you say no a lot. Do you have almost criteria, whether that be con conscious or unconscious, around what you'll say yes to and what you'll say no to? Uh, I will say yes. To, I typically will say yes to students, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes paying things if it's a lot of money. You know, I mean, sometimes I say yes to money things. I, I always say yes to gay and lesbian stuff or if I can. Um, I say yes to anything young people ask me to do, like I, if they want to talk for a few minutes, you know, that kind of thing. I don't like meetings a lot. I don't I try to limit the number of meetings. I actually I have a day, like it's typically a Tuesday now, although sometimes it gets people get creeping into my Tuesday that I leave empty, um, that I won't schedule anything on. And so I can like work on writing and things like that. Has the free Tuesday thing always been around or is that something that you implemented? No, I just have noticed I need a full day because people, if, if people, you know, a lot of people have access to my schedule, my Google, I have used a Google schedule, but you could use anything, you know, and if people have access, they'll tend to put things on it. Like someone just put something on my schedule that I didn't ask for. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, so I spent a lot of time paying attention to who's in, who and what are, is on my schedule. And do you have a strategy for saying no well or effectively? I'm very particular about who I let touch my schedule. You know, I don't have an assistant like most people 
my, my ilk have assistance, but I don't. I don't want anyone to touch my schedule or anything like that or make decisions for me because they don't know everything that's in my head. Like, oh, I just, I want to leave early to pick up my son or like today I was, uh, I, I have to, uh, my son is starting lacrosse and so I've got to make time for that. So I have to figure out what else I have to move because of the driving and this and that. I have to make appointments and I put them up up on my schedule to remind myself. So I'm constantly re evaluating the schedule every week, but I definitely leave a big center day without anything to do, but I do a lot in that day. So what does that center day look like that you don't have, I guess, external bookings? So I give myself a morning to think like, and like read around and take notes and things like that. So just like nobody gets enough time to think because, and then also, you know, if you like Twitter or you like whatever your happen, your addictive nature of the internet is, you can go from thing to, you can take up a lot of, whether you like watching, um, looking at Instagram or TikTok, you can really suck up time. And it's not bad stuff either, by the way, it's good. It's kind of interesting. It's news and stuff. So I can do endless sucking of information and I enjoy it. I like reading the news quite a bit. So I have to like physically put down my phone. I also like to have to do stuff that isn't digital. Like I, I, this morning, um, I, uh, had some time. I didn't realize what happened. So I, I, I rearranged my shelves. I was just, it makes me happy. It calms me down. Cleaning calms me down actually. Um, and, and I think while I'm doing it, or I listen to music or podcasts or things like that. And so I, I, I want, it's really important to take space for yourself, even if you, you, I take more space than most people because it's calming. It's, you know what I mean? Like things that I like physical things like cooking or cleaning, I tend to like to do myself because I, I'm an organized person and it, it's like therapy for me. And it sounds weird, but it is. It doesn't sound weird at all. Now, um, before we started recording, I mentioned that I'm a huge fan of Pivot and it's always, it's quite surreal, I think, when you listen to a podcast and then you actually speak to that voice that is in your ear all the time. And something I'm really impressed about always with you and Scott on Pivot is just you seem to know everything. Yeah, we do. (laughs) One of us does, yeah. (laughs) That's right, definitely you. What are your go-to sources for staying on top of what's going on in the world? Well, I'm a voracious reader of news. You know, I really do. I'm always paying attention and making, I spend a lot of time making connections between things. And so I save like a long reading list of different articles. I don't read by publication necessarily, but, you know, I tend to look at the New York Times several times a day just for news because they just, they have a breadth of news or Washington Post. And then I look, Twitter a lot is really my organizational thing for news. And then I, I avail myself. I ask people, when I get an idea, I ask people directly. Um, about different things, or I try to reach them um, so I can get more information. So I spend a lot of time texting. I spend a lot of time reading and then texting or sending, what do you think of this? What do you know about this? And stuff like that. So I'm always collecting information. And on Twitter, who are your who are some of your go-to people that you follow on Twitter? So when there was high political drama, I spent a lot of time with lots of political people. But I, I follow everybody in that, and I read them very quickly. And now I'm really interested in, in vaccines, and so I'm following a lot of various vaccines. I just interviewed Michelle, Dr. Michelle Williams of Harvard uh, today. And so um, I tend to follow a lot of vaccine experts this week because I'm interested in distribution or, or things like that. It often depends on what I'm covering. Like I did a really good uh, interview with Kathy Park Hong about the attacks on Asian uh, Americans in the United States. And I, I, besides reading her book, which was amazing, I followed lots of 
discussion about it on Twitter, for example. And I follow lots of, I tend to use more digital things than I do television or things like that. But I do avail myself to like, I'm very interested in QAnon and I've watched all the QAnon documentaries, the one on HBO and things like that. And I sort of tend to get deep into a topic and then learn all about it. I want to know with interviews, what's your process for preparing for an interview? My processes, before I did it all myself, but the Times has given me these great producers who tend to produce a background document. And I tend to read almost everything. Um, And then we, then they come up with, you know, I give them a thing called curiosities where I said, this is what I'm interested in. If we're interviewing, like I just interviewed Don Lemon, here's the 10 things I'm interested in. And then they make suggestions and then uh, we have a discussion about it. And then they create a question document based on the narrative I want for the interview. And they can suggest, you know, actually you said, start with this. What about if we start with this because of this? Um, It's almost like writing a story together with a bunch of people. And then we, we, we look over the question when we have a meeting about the question document and move that around. Um, And then during the interview, they're talking to me through the Google Doc, you know, as I'm going. But I tend to do it at many many weeks of research on several different interviews that are going on. It's amazing how broad it is. How do you decide on who to interview? I always have have a conceptual idea of what I'm doing. So conceptually, it's about power. And so what is power? And that's the, that's how I, that could be anybody, right? It, cre- it, it creates a rather large basket of people you could interview. And so I try to find really interesting ways into a broader topic. It, you know, I tend to, another thing I spend a lot of time is trying to be diverse and I'm not doing this for virtue signaling or anything else, but there's plenty of people out there and you just don't, you don't have to have, everyone doesn't have to be a white guy, right? It just doesn't. And so I can find like epidemiologists, there's dozens I could find, like, they're all qualified, every one of them. But I tended to look around so I get the most diverse, whether it's a woman, a person of color. Um, just try to be more diverse in my thinking. Age, geography, it's not just gender and race. It's everything. Like, we try intentionally to try to find a, a broader range of people for you to meet, right? So that you understand the world in a much broader way, because I think that's just more knowledge is better. And so if you have more points of view, uh, you get a lot more, you know, you get a lot more perspective. And some people are just, just like Nancy Pelosi, you don't really have to, you know, just this past four weeks, we had uh, Dr. Michelle Williams, who's an epidemiologist at Harvard, uh, Diana Trujillo, uh, who is uh, the Mars Rover person, Apple CEO, Tim Cook, you know, we try really hard to, to, to mix up people so people will find it interesting. That's amazing. I've I've read that you don't feel intimidated or nervous going into interviews. Is that true? Yes. No, except for maybe if I ever got Dolly Parton, but I think I wouldn't be so happy. Um, <laughs> I really would like to interview Dolly Parton. She has not said yes yet. I will get Dolly Parton to yes at some point. Uh, no, I don't feel nervous. I don't feel nervous. Why should I? I want to talk about the flow of the interview. You talked about almost thinking about it as a story. How how do you plan for it? Like what makes a good opening part of the interview through to the rest of it? You know, one of the things interviewers, they make a mistake is they reel off a list of questions and don't vary. They, they don't shift from it if things change. If I respond to what people are telling me, it's like, it's, it's more than a story. It's a conversation like you'd have at dinner with someone. You wouldn't go, and next, let me ask you about, and next, you know what I mean? You wouldn't do that. You would have a, things fork off from each other. And so I spent a lot of time with a basic construct of, here's the six things I really want to find out. I want to ask this person, but I tend to sort of group them in things that naturally flow 
from one or another. And sometimes I'm like, let's hit them hard at the top. Sometimes I'm like, let's just wait. Let's, you know, let's introduce it this way. Um, So you, because you want to sort of, you want to have people to be comfortable to talk to you at the same time, you don't want to not show discomfort with some things you don't like about them. Right. And in some cases it just goes, I mean, I think one of the, the, most successful interviews was this parlor CEO who I got to say the truth, which is he doesn't care about moderating, right? Like, and you know, it got him fired. It got Farler thrown off, but you know, it ha- the day before the interview, everything was fine. The day after he, they were thrown off every platform. And it was because I was very, I was right near the Capitol. I was very emotional. You know, the Capitol was being attacked. I love the Capitol. Uh, I live near it. And I was like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Like, and so, and he kept saying false things to me. Like, the New York Times, you know, promotes riots. I go, what are you talking about? That is not true. And then he said, some people say. And I said, no people say. You just made that up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it, was, it was as if I was having a conversation, but I had a, I had a list of things I wanted to talk to him about, and moderation was one of them. And that's why... You know, that's why we that's why it worked is I ultimately got answers to all the questions that people wanted to know about is it was this platform uh, irresponsible in how it monitors its users. There's one question usually with each person. In case of Tim Cook, there's like six or seven. Mm. How do you deal with people who are evading answering questions? I say it. You're, the, you didn't answer the question. Like, I don't pretend. I don't, I don't try to, a lot of interviews back into questions. Like, so there are some people who say, you know, like they back into it. I don't know why. I'm like, Tim Cook, I'm like, okay, lots of people say you're a monopoly in the app store and they want to shut you down by antitrust. Can I have your reaction? I like, a ver- I ask very direct questions. I do think people appreciate direct questions. I 100% think that. How do you shake people out of their talking points? I say that's a talking point. Can we move on? When precisely, I actually say that physically. Uh, I I say uh, that's a talking point. Can are we done with this yet? Because just let me know because I'm tired of these talking points and I don't do it rudely. I'm like you know that's a talk. You don't really want to talk like that, right? Is that how you want to present yourself? <laughs> I find your directness very inspiring. I'm just clear, direct. I'm direct. Yeah. I think people like it. I think I think the interviewers like it, but the interviewees like it because they don't have to like, they're like, oh, okay, she's going to ask. There's no like idea that I'm not going to be clear. I think we're smart people who respect it. I think that's why they keep coming back for more. I never, like never catch them. Like I don't, I'm just direct. And that's easier than people who catch them, right? Definitely, definitely. I want to know with Pivot, what does the preparation process look like? I'm always so keen to know, you know, with podcasts I listen to, what happens before the show? Um, we have this system. I'm working in a, in a little studio and I set everything up myself. There's nobody here. We do everything virtually. Um, so what, the engineer is on the call. We use Squadcast. Um, and then we've, we've, the engineer has walked through the subject uh, on how to set up their thing. So there's usually not most of, can you hear me? Can you hear me? There's none of that. Um, and then we go, just go right in. And I say, this is going to take, I often always say, um, uh, this is going to be an hour. So sit back. Like this is not a cable network thing. So you're going to have to, you know, dig deep here if you don't mind. And so I, I tend to do that. There's, sometimes there's banter because sometimes I know someone, uh, and I, you know, and sometimes we use it. Sometimes we use the, 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 uh, the banter and sometimes we don't. Um, but, but I tend to like, try to like 
say something um, nice to them. You know what I mean? Like, or something happened in the news. I'm like, oh, what do you you think about that? Uh, Or if I hadn't seen them in a while, I sometimes like, oh, we haven't seen each other since this time and talk about that. But anyway, I try to like have an ongoing relationship with people so that by the time they get to my podcast, we have a relationship. Yeah, I read that about you, that you're a really big proponent of staying in touch with people that you interview, whereas a lot of reporters are very transactional. What's been your approach for, I guess, building those relationships and that network? Um, My approach is I just, people don't contact people. I know it sounds crazy, but they just don't. I just do. I like anyone I want to meet. You can usually get to them through Twitter or whatever. And I don't, I just text them or, or whatever. Or if I, if I, I don't have their email, I go on Twitter and DM them or sometimes publicly like, Hey, it's Kara, call me. What are your, what are your favorite podcasts to listen to? Well, I listen to my own a lot, actually. I want to see how they sound and what works. Pivot, I listen to every week. I don't listen to Sway all the time because they're so long and I remember them. So, uh, but I listen to Pivot a lot to see what works and what doesn't work. I have the daily. I don't listen to it every day though. And I, Sometimes listen to Pod Save America. You know, when 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 uh, Kevin Roos had Rabbit Hole, I like series, and so I listen to that. I listen to Dolly Parton's America, of course. Uh, um, I like to listen to interesting um, podcasts by young people. I was teaching at the University of Chicago this semester, and uh, this one student I thought was super promising podcaster has a podcast called Kind of Sort of Brown, uh, which I really like. I think she's kind of cool. I think she does. She does really. It's just I'm always interested in. What she has, she and uh, she does it with a bunch of young people there at University of Chicago, and I really like, I really like it. When you're listening to Pivot, your own podcast, what what are you listening for when you're, you know, listening critically to it? I guess. Well, it's sort of like comedy people who listen to shows, see what jokes land. You know, with a lot, what what works, what goes on too long. If I'm, if Scott is interrupting me too much, or I'm interrupting him too much, everything. I'm listening to everything. How the opening worked. If we should change anything. Um, ideas for the next show. I tend to think of, I'm always thinking of fresh new things we can do. Uh, length of things. We don't do a lot of editing on this thing. It's not highly produced. So it's produced. It really, we have a really good producer, Rebecca, but uh, we don't, uh, it's not highly produced as, you know, the daily is highly produced. Pivot is not, I would say. Hey there, it's time for a little ad break, but can I ask a favor of you? If you're enjoying how I work, I'd be so grateful if you could hit pause and leave a little review. You might want to hit the star button and leave a star review or maybe write some kind words. Thank you in advance if you're one of the hundreds of people that have done this. It's a great way to help other people find out about how I work and it also just um, brings me lots of warm, fuzzy feelings. So that's nice too. Okay, Kara will be back after this short break where she reveals the best piece of career advice she's ever received and she also gives me feedback on my interview style. I want to Talk about social media because Twitter's obviously features in your life in terms mm-hmm. of Twitter. staying on top of things. Yet you are able to, particularly on your Tuesdays, you were talking about stay really efficient and focused. So what what is your relationship like with social media? I just use Twitter. I don't use Facebook at all. I don't use Facebook. I've been a giant waste of data sucking uh, waste of my time. Um, I don't look at Instagram. I don't find it. I don't really want to look at people's lunches all that much. I'll, if they like, if they're really good, they'll put them on Twitter. Um, I, I get why people like Instagram. I get it. It's just too performative for me. 
I, I like TikTok, but I get sucked into the TikTok hole if I go in there. I stay there for a long time. How do you not let it consume you? Like, how do you switch off when you've actually got writing to do? I, I have to put it away. It's addictive. I love it. It's so fun. I don't, I'm not addicted to anything. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. You know what I mean? Like, it's a drug. It's the drug. I like news. So it's a perfect uh, app for me because I love news. I've been, just been lately doing... Um, you know, I do live Twitters after I do certain New York Times stuff, and that's fun to interact with the audience. But lately, we've been trying Twitter Spaces, um, which is essentially not Clubhouse. Um, and I like it a lot because my interest graph is there, and we've been getting, you know, 500 more people coming in on a Friday night talking about, you know, like last week it was Amazon's union stuff. And uh, so we bring in interesting people to talk to and then we let list people on there. So it's sort of like talk radio. I really kind of like it. I'm fascinated by the audio live space. Mm. Now, something I read about you is that unlike quite a few guests I've had on the show, imposter syndrome is not something that you have had. Can you talk to me about that? I don't have imposter syndrome. I think I'm great. <laughs> I don't know why I am. <laughs> I mean, I, when I do things wrong, I'm like, oh, that sucked. Um, but I tend not to think that most of the time. I t- I'm very, I have a good assessment of my qualities is what I would say. It's, I had an interesting talk with my son. Uh, I talked to, My oldest son and I have been talking a lot lately, which is interesting. Um, he's at NYU for the first year. And we've talked a lot about what makes a person like and stuff. And he was, you know, he was reading me some stuff he wrote. And he's a beautiful writer. He doesn't believe it, but he's quite a good writer. And, you know, it's so funny because he goes, he, he goes, no, I'm not. And I'm like, have I ever said you're good at something when you're not? And he goes, no, you haven't. I said, so you must be a good writer because I wouldn't say so. I'd say nothing or I would say it's bad probably. So I tend to be very clear with my feedback um, and I, I'm good that, with that myself, about myself too. So if I'm good at something, I say so. If I'm not, I say so. But what I'm good at, I'm quite good at. So I say that. Where did you get that from? I feel like that's really unusual, like particularly when when we're younger. Well, I have eyes I can see. I know if I'm good. I know if I'm good against other people. Like I wanted to be an architect, but I was terrible. I was terrible. I loved it. <laughs> I loved drawing. But everything I designed looked like shit. And I was like, I'm not good at this. Like I just knew it. I just didn't. And this other girl sitting next to me was so good. And I was like, everything she designs is beautiful. Like I'm, I'm aware of other people being better at things, even if I wish I were better at them. I don't know. I'm just truthful about myself and the things around. And that includes being truthful, not necessarily in a negative way. It's always done in a negative way to people. I'm not good at this. I don't measure up. That person's richer. Um, I don't think like that. I'm like, that was good. I make a lot of money. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so it's, I'm I'm just, I'm just pretty clear about, uh, about my capabilities. Mm, wow, it's almost like this objective comparison. Mm. Well, I just think, you know, the world tries to drag down women. You know what I mean? They drag down people who are marginalized. Um, I think a little bit has to do with being gay, I guess, if I had to pick anything, is that, you know, all the messaging was so negative when I was coming up. When I was, I'm an older person, and so it was a lot different than it is today. It's not good today either, by the way, for trans or transgender kids right now. I just was very confident. And so you had to be because there were so many negative images. And I kept thinking, I'm great. I'm pretty happy I'm gay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was, I, it was just like, that's not true. That's not true. And so uh, I, I think that's how it, I think you get, if you have a lot of incoming in your life and you're able to fend it off, you feel pretty confident about yourself. I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> 
I don't have my daughter is really interesting. Uh, she's super confident. She's uh, my sons are wonderful guys. Uh, they're older. They're 16 and, and almost almost 16, almost 19. And uh, my daughter is is one and a half, a little bit over one and a half. And she's so confident. It's so fascinating to watch. She just walks through the world like, mm, that's right. You know what I mean? Like, and last night she was just dancing and just, she didn't care. She couldn't care less. She was like, I'm dancing. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to just throw myself into it. And so you always wonder what happens to girls, for example. I always keep going, when is, because boys, it's easy. They're always confident, by the way, most of the time. Or they, or the world lets them be confident most of the time. And I was like, where's the point where they're going to try to pull down this enormous confidence this little girl has, right? What's the moment? And so I want to watch it really carefully because I don't want her to let go of it because it's, it's magical, right? Her confidence and herself and her abilities is really quite high. And so where are the little places that you know, shave an edge off of her. And I'm not going to let that happen. I love that. Because she's going to do better by staying the way she is, by having wonder, confidence, um, and everything else. And I'm not being being stupidly dangerous. I don't want to run down run down the steps or anything like that. But um, but it's it's an interesting I'm watching it's gonna be interesting to having a daughter over two sons. Because sons are all they're all they're always like, I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> I was like, you're not so great. Oh, I'm great. <laughs> like where does that come from? Where does it come from? Uh, Now, with writing, I want to know, how can people make their writing better? For listeners that are fans of your work and your writing, what can can us mere mortals do to be better writers? Well, you're not. I am also a mortal, to give you some information. I know you think I'm a god from another planet. But no, um, just be clear. Just embrace. I think people tend to be performative in their writing, right? They're not. They like, they imagine what a writer is supposed to sound like. You should develop your own voice and stick to it. And like, there's certain things. Don't like write run-on sentences. There's like a bunch of rules. One of my favorite books is Strunk and White's Elements of Style still. Just read that. And don't do those things like that they say not to. <laughs> um, but I think most people don't, they tend to get very flourishy or performative instead of just writing simply and to the point. And I think if you get to that, then you can later, it's like learn to draw an apple and then later you can be Picasso. Picasso drew a beautiful apple, by the way. Before he was Picasso, he could draw an apple, right? Or he could do like the basics. So so master a couple of things, the essay if you're a news reporter, a, new, a good news report, master a longer form piece. And then, you know, then you can get more challenging and experimental. It's like skiing, like start on the bunny slope, then do intermediate, then go down the other one, you know, the black diamond or whatever. And so I think people don't spend enough time thinking of it like a craft, right? Do it over and over and over again, just like dancing or anything else. How did you learn to write? I was always writing. I wasn't. A, I wasn't a bio. I wasn't a diary person at all. I just. I don't know. I just started writing. I was good at it. I just was good. I was very articulate as a child um, about anything. I had a very. I had, I had a very easy time talking, um, and then I just typed what I was saying. You know, I just don't. I just. I, I learned. I had great teachers. I had a, a several teachers who were just re- in in especially sixth and seventh grade, um, who were very encouraging and creative in the way they taught. But I also had one teacher who was just a, a grammar, uh, I don't want to say grammar Nazi because Nazis shouldn't be used for things like that. But she was a grammar, she was just a very strong on grammar and she like drilled into me proper grammar. And I know it sounds dumb, but it gives you a structure. And so I'm not always perfect, but I definitely think about how important that structural stuff was to being a good writer. A couple more questions for you. Um, I, I always feel... Uh, 
not sure if nervous is the right word, but when I'm interviewing someone that interviews other people for a living, I'm always curious as to what they're thinking, given you're so direct with feedback. Give me some feedback, Cara, for how this interview's been for you. You're an excellent interviewer. You ask good questions. You're flowing nicely. You're asking things are following. You're actually listening to what I'm saying and then following up with questions about what we're talking about. I think you're curious. I think that's the most important part for an interviewer is to be curious. Um, And you're not doing rote, like, here's my list of questions. I'm going to get through them. So it feels like question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And that's, that's where most interviewers go wrong is they're not hearing what the person is saying. You know, you keep, you're doing an interesting conversation. That's how you should think of it, an interesting conversation. Okay, give, give me some constructive feedback. What can I do better? Uh, I'd up the Aussie accent. People love a charming Australian accent. The Aussie accent. <laughs> I'm going to use it next time. You're probably trying to please me too much, so you're not saying anything really mean or tough. Not unfairly, but, like, I don't think you want to be too tough on me, probably. You're nervous because I'm probably faster than you and probably could slap you down really hard. That would be my guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably. You're nervous about saying anything to, I didn't like that. I didn't like when you did that. And so those are hard questions. Like when I was interviewing Tim Cook the other day, I forgot, I didn't not forget, but I didn't have time to ask about China. But I was pretty tough on him during the app. And I made sure that I had like, I think you're wrong. Like, we, so we could have a point of, and I thought that too, I wasn't doing it just to be pointlessly difficult. I was like, I have a problem with this. And so do a lot of people. But I don't say other people say, I, I usually say, I have a problem with this. So you probably don't want to be mean to me, but I don't have really done anything deserving meanness. I'm not sure. I you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I appreciate your feedback. And, and that's very true. I think I would feel nervous to, to disagree because I have such a high opinion of you. That's why Scott works so well, because we disagree all the time. And we both you are do. good at pushing back. You know, people, people are, it's so funny. I, someone said to me, he's so offensive. He said that to me. I was like, uh-huh. And they're like, aren't you angry all the time? I'm like, no, no, he's offensive. Yeah, I don't agree with him. And then I push back. Like, and they're like, well, I think you should find someone who's less offensive. I'm like, the whole friggin' point of the show is that we disagree on a lot of stuff and we agree on some stuff. I said, it's a whole, that's the whole formula is that there's people really like civil disagreement. And because there's so much partisanship down that's so mean if people could have debate over issues that isn't political and isn't partisan, it's it's a pleasure. Also, the last thing is you can have a point of view. That's what I would say. I have a point of view and I get it through. And so I think that's the reason I think I'm really successful is I'm very clear about my point of view. And I think some interviews pretend they don't have one. And I think it's really helpful to listeners to have one. I like that. Yeah, it's funny. I've received that feedback before from Adam Grant, actually, more about sharing more of my own strategies, which I sometimes do, but I do kind of stay away from that because I'm like, no, 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 this is about the guest and that's what listeners are. People are are tuning into you, not the guest. It's your interview. I'll I'll give you one piece of advice. I got the best piece of advice I ever got in my life from a professional thing is I was writing my first book uh, on AOL and I was overwhelmed. I was a young reporter uh, and I was good, but I still was very early in my career. And I was just beside myself because I interviewed all these people. and There was so much information. There's just so much coming in. And I didn't know quite how to organize it. And I called a friend of mine who wrote true crime novels of all things. I love those book, kind of books. You know, she cover a trial and then write a novel, not a novel, a, a nonfiction book about some crime or whatever. And I said, I don't know what to do. I'm just going crazy. The only person I know who's written a book. And she said, it's not, she goes, it's not the whole, it's not the story of AOL. It's your story of AOL what's your story? What do you want to say about it? And I was like, oh, it's not the story. It's a story. And I was like, oh, oh, that's easy. I'll tell you what I think of this. 
So that was a really helpful thing. That's still to this day, 20, 30 years on, whatever. I'm still like, what is my story? My final question for you is for listeners that want to consume more of what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, lots of ways. I'm very, I make a lot of content. Um, well, uh, some of it's free, some of it's not. No, all of it's free. Um, you just have to listen to an ad. Um, you can listen to Sway podcast at the New York Times if you want, and you could listen, you can dig into things you like or not, whatever. They're very long and they take commitment on your ha- on behalf. I assume you're a smart person. So if you're tuning in, you're not going to get reductive, twitchy bullshit. Um, secondly, pivot, you'll get reductive twitchy bullshit. No, no. Um, it's more fun. It's news topical. It's really fast and funny. And, and we sometimes have interviews, we have interviews every week on it, a friend of pivot and different things. And it's really fun. It's easy to consume. Um, it's super easy to consume. You read my column in the New York times. I write, I have an events that I do. Um, and I, I'm always, I do Twitter lives and Twitter, uh, spaces a lot. And I'm, uh, I wander around my neighborhood a lot. You can find me in DC. <laughs> I was coming out of a Target yesterday, yesterday, yeah. And uh, I was wearing a mask and my sunglasses because people know me by my sunglasses, right? As I always do. And I was coming then this guy's going, he go, and he goes, it's you. And I was like, what? He goes, you go to stores. You said you went to stores. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> hi. And he goes, it's great to meet you. And like, he felt like he had a relationship with me, which was great. And I really thought good, good for me, good for him. Like he, that he said something. And then we ended up talking about retail and where it was going. That's awesome. I will link to all that in the show notes, as well as your local target. You can find me in the local target in Washington, yes, DC exactly. in Friendship Heights. <laughs> I don't live up there. My, I was up there doing something, but, uh, but you can find me wandering around. I'm often in hardware stores. I love hardware stores. Good to know. We'll link to some of your local ones in the show notes. Cara, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you so much. That is it for today's show. If you haven't already hit subscribe or follow on this podcast, you might want to do that. Next week, I'm very excited to share an interview with a tech entrepreneur called Sam Korkos, who is the founder and CEO of a company that you probably haven't heard of called Levels, who are doing some awesome, awesome stuff in the area of health tech. And i got to say, uh, After interviewing Sam, I can definitely conclude that he is one of the nerdiest uh, productivity people that I've spoken to. And I mean that in a very, very complimentary way. It is jam packed with practical tips to get better at your work. So hit subscribe or follow if you haven't already. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Dead Set Studios. The producer for this episode was the marvellous Jenna Coda. And thank you to Martin Imba, who does the audio mix for all of How I Work and makes everything sound awesome. See you next week.